Hello, this is Brooke Pernice with Good Books, True Stories, Beautiful Songs. These are the nine parts of speech Which reading, writing, speaking teach Given by the Lord above To show His beauty and His love One thing we may never know for certain is the original language that Adam and Eve, Noah and his family spoke before the Tower of Babel. One thing we can know for absolutely sure though is that it was not English. English was a very late language in many ways. It came out of German. But I believe that no matter what the first language was, we can look at the grammar of almost any language and see the providence of God. Because God created with the word. He spoke most of the world into existence. Jesus Christ was and is and always will be the Word who was God and who was with God from the beginning. God is Word. He uses Word. God makes Himself known through His Holy Word, the Bible. And in every language, we can see his providence, his fingerprints. The other day, my students and I were talking about whether it's even possible to define the word the. And we concluded that it may not be possible to do that without saying the in the definition. A or an is probably just as confusing. One of my friends told me that when he was in college, they always called the a ghost word. But that's the problem with these articles. We don't know exactly what they mean, but in English, they're essential. So I asked my students a question. I said, what is the difference between a truth and the truth? They pointed out that a truth could be anything that is true. But the truth must be an important truth, maybe the most important truth that there is. They pointed out that if all we had were different truths, we might not be able to find one absolute truth. And that is a problem in our society today. It is fashionable to deny the existence of the truth. We tend to believe that everyone can find a truth for his or herself. But there's no the truth, one truth that should unify us. If we lost articles, at least in the English language, we could very well lose the ability 
to talk about the ultimate truth, God's truth, to say, I mean one thing and I don't mean another. Admittedly, it is the kind of thing that makes you want to lay down and put a cold rag over your head when you think about it for too long, but the importance of these three little words, a, an, and the, speaks to the providence of God in his provision of the ability to even talk about truth, about meaning. Three little words we often see are articles A, N, and V. Though they are small if they were lost, the truth itself might be the cost. In her wonderful book, Caring for Words in a Culture of Lies, Marilyn McIntyre talks about nouns as Adam's first power, Adam's first gift. When God placed Adam in Eden, he brought every creature before him and said, name these creatures. And I would imagine that Adam probably didn't just come up with names randomly out of his head. He probably studied those creatures, thought about them, and somehow named them based off of his observations. We as human beings have been given extraordinary license with the use of nouns. We can use them well, or we can use them thoughtlessly, and we are free to do either. But I would say that when we name things, we should try to consider how Adam might have gone about it. We should probably take that power, that gift, seriously, particularly if we're naming children, or even ideas. We should realize that we have been given a great gift, and it's probably not one that we should use thoughtlessly. One thing we don't have the power to name, not truly, not fully, is ourselves. A noun's a name for anything House or garden, hoop or swing The first gift God to Adam gave Was the power to give all creatures names Pronouns are, in many ways, a sign of God's mercy. If I had to say Brooke went here before Brooke went there, and then Brooke talked to Brooke's friend. It would be absolutely horrible. So the fact that we can refer to ourselves in the first person or to someone else in the third person is truly merciful because it would be hard to make sense of anything 
we said, if we had to just keep using a person's name over and over and over again. But pronouns are in many ways the names or the titles we are given by someone else. We all have I, me, and my as ways of referring to ourselves. But most of the other pronouns are ways in which someone else refers to us. Because pronouns stand in place of proper nouns. And I know that in these days there is a lot of talk about choosing pronouns, but there are many reasons why that can't really work. The fact is, we don't primarily define ourselves because we can't. We don't give ourselves the names we are given at birth. I know some people can legally change them, but in some way, we always have the name our parents gave us. We are in many ways defined by who raised us, who influenced us. Ecclesiastes says there is nothing new under the sun. Pronouns should humble us because we don't necessarily have that choice to define ourselves. Similarly, just as the pronouns substitute or stand in place of proper nouns, it is Jesus and Jesus alone who was able to be a substitute for us, to die for our sins. We don't have a choice in that. We can't decide that we are able to save ourselves because it's simply not possible. If we seek salvation, it must be in the name and in the blood of Jesus who stood as our substitute. Like a pronoun, we don't choose him. He chooses us. He chose to die for us. We did not choose to atone for our own sin because we could not. Just as we cannot define who or what we are, he and those around us have far more to do with that than we ever could. Instead of nouns, the pronouns stand. His head, her face, your arm, my hand. And let these remind us every day of him who suffered in our place. Adjectives are a lot of fun because we're able to embellish or decorate descriptions of things. As someone who's blind, I love adjectives because it is one of the best ways people can help me to understand what we're talking about. What the world around us 
looks like, sounds like, feels like. And adjectives are a gift by which we can try to describe the creations of God as well as God himself. We can talk about glory and beauty and wonder and awe that we experience when we behold certain things. And we can also talk about the painful, sorrowful, awful evil of sin and of the fall. Adjectives are probably one of the more emotional parts of speech, and they are a gift. They are one of the bestowers of beauty, conveyors of wonder in our language. We can anticipate beautiful, glorious days when we will see the radiant face of our Savior even before we fully understand what that will be like. Because all of us have some sort of image or idea that comes into our head when adjectives are voiced. Adjectives tell a kind of noun Great, small, pretty, white, or brown And how beautiful will be the day we see our Savior's radiant face. McIntyre makes the point that when God first spoke his own name to Moses, he introduced himself as a verb. I am. I am who I am, or I am who I will be. God alone can be purely a verb. And he created us with the ability to do. And so in our doing, our reading, our writing, our speaking, our listening, our thinking, our making, we reflect his image in a special way. Verbs aren't the only thing that reflect the image of God in us. Image of God is a status, a position that we hold. But by our doing, we are able to show and to be the hands and feet the body of Christ on the earth. Verbs tell of something being done To read or write, to sing or run And through these verbs the Lord we see He said I am who I will be A few days ago I was agonizing about how to explain to my students the difference between an adjective and an adverb because I remember getting confused about that myself and I wanted to figure out how I could talk about it. This is the best I came up with. 
Adjectives describe nouns. Adverbs are basically adjectives for verbs. Adjectives describe the kinds of nouns, tell us about the nouns, whereas adverbs describe actions. In many ways, adverbs are a little bit more evaluative. How was something done? In what way was it done? Was it done well? Or was it done poorly? Adverbs allow us to judge our experiences. They are maybe the part of speech to be the most careful with because we do tend to judge others a lot more harshly than ourselves. We tend to see the speck of dust in someone else's eye and not see the plank in our own. But that's not to say that we are never to judge actions or even motives. We have to be able to do that to survive, and we have to be able to determine right and wrong. But adverbs are probably the part of speech because they are so evaluative, because we have to use them to judge what has been done or what will be done. They require the most care, the most prayer, the most discernment of all. How things are done, the adverbs tell. Slowly, quickly, ill or well. Let them remind us as they should. God created all things good. Conjunctions like and, but, or, because, so, are fascinating because you can come up with entire philosophies of history based on just one of those words. You can say that one thing happened because of another, basically getting into cause and effect. You can say that two things are related with the word and. You can say that there are multiple possibilities with the word or. You can suggest that something should happen because of something that already happened with the word so. You can talk about things that seem to contradict. This happened, but this also happened. And therefore, you can try to figure out why. Conjunctions can seem pretty mundane. They're small words. But the way that they connect sentences, clauses, ideas, is profound. 
because they allow us to conclude why, how, and whether something should or should not have happened. They are another tool by which we can judge history, literature, motivation, and make inferences about what may be to come in the future. They are a powerful tool. And one that, again, we should use with some care. Because misjudging cause and effect can be a dangerous thing. Conjunctions join together words Like wind and weather, flocks and herds They show us the effect and cause Of good and evil, gain or loss There's a prayer known as the Breastplate of St. Patrick And it was written by Patrick, the great missionary to Ireland who took on a lot of their seemingly demonic idols in his day. And his prayer of protection was a masterpiece of prepositional theology. He spoke about Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ beneath me, Christ to win me, Christ to guard me. Prepositions go before. You may have heard the rule, never end a sentence with a preposition. There are conceivably times when you can break that rule, but prepositions are intended to go before. And God is the one who goes before. He also goes after. He is in us. He is with us. He is all around us. And so prepositions point to his continued merciful, guarding, protective presence. They point to his being the first and the last, the beginning and the end, before all things and after all things pass away is God. And he gives us life with him eternally so that there will not be any after to us either once we are with him in his new heavens and his new earth. Prepositions stand before Nouns like in or through the door Oh Christ before me, Christ behind In my heart and on my mind Especially if you're talking about academic writing, interjections can be the toughest thing to explain because you don't see a lot of occurrences of ouch or whoa in a paper. But, especially if you're talking about literature or everyday life, interjections are everywhere. 
They are exclamations, usually of surprise. They can be pleasant surprise. They can simply be shock. They can be pain. They can be dismay or devastation. And the Psalms are filled with these. You will see hallelujah or praise the Lord or bless the Lord, O my soul. The Psalms are filled with these outbursts of praise and they show us how day to day our lives should be filled with outbursts of praise, interjections, exclaiming about the wonder, the beauty, the glory, the amazement of our God. He is worth exclaiming over, continually being surprised by, because he is never predictable. Let us always be filled with awe and wonder and surprise at what he has done for us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the God who made us, died for us, raises us to live again, and is with us now and forevermore. Hallelujah. Bless his name. Interjection show surprise. Oh, how pretty, ah, how wise. And let me exclaim forevermore. Oh, hallelujah, bless the Lord. Part of this song came from a rhyme that was written around the 1840s. I've never seen the original version, but I will cite it in the show notes. I found it in a wonderful book called Making Sense by David Crystal. It's all about grammar and its uses. I put in the parts about theology, about where God reveals himself in our language. I believe, and I often tell my students this, that though we cannot create ex nihilo, from nothing as God did, we are able to make worlds out of words. We are able to create and build worlds in people's imaginations by speaking and by writing. And we are able to receive the worlds of others by listening and reading. The arts of language are in many ways the arts of world building. We can reflect the image of God beautifully in how we use the parts of speech. We can shine forth a shadow of that power that he has by creating something in the minds and the imaginations of those around us. In our use of grammar, may we make that which is good, that which is true, that which is beautiful, that which delights him 
and ministers to our fellow image bearers of God. These are the nine parts of speech. Reading, writing, speaking, teach. Given by the Lord above to show his beauty and his love. 